0: Hello friends and listeners, this is season 7 episode 11 of the Thoth Hermes podcast and it is November the 7th 2021. My name is Rudolf, I am as always your host here on the Thoth Hermes podcast and it is my pleasure to welcome you back also this week for a new episode. And our guest here today will be Australian astrologer Shu Yap. I hope that you had a pleasant week. Uh, Many of you really enjoyed last week's episode and I hope it will be just the same um, also for this week. Shu Yap is a very fascinating personality that uh, I discovered by the help of one of our most fervent listeners here. She knows when she listens that I mean her. And um, I was very grateful. It's And to be honest, it's always very nice when I hear from you and um, from people that you found and that might be interesting for this podcast. It has happened several times that I interviewed guys and girls who really, um, I discovered through your help. So together with your music suggestions, the music that you, of course, have recorded and have also written, um, this is a very exciting addition to all that I can present here. And um, well, if sometimes I cannot follow all your tips and tracks, um, don't be mad at me, but uh, it's just too much. Um, It's great that you do that. And uh, once again, this time, Shu is a discovery that I made thanks to one of you. And um, I'm really grateful because she was lovely to talk to and also very, very interesting uh, as a person. Right. So the South Hermes podcast, you know it by now, I hope. If not, um, go to our website, www.sourcehermes.com. That's T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S.com. And find out all about us and also all about the previous 101 episodes. No, 102, sorry, episodes already. So, and um, you can there also find uh, all the show notes and all the links to the respective people and their work and their books, etc., etc. Plenty, plenty of stuff to discover. Also... Leave me some feedback there. I have a contact form there. You have the email address info.anthoshermids.com there. And you have even a voicemail. Haven't been using voicemail lately a lot. So, guys, let me hear your voice. Send me a voicemail from the website. It's always lovely to hear from you. Right, and while you're there, you know what's coming. Patreon. Yes, guys, I need you. I need your help, I need your support. Uh, every week it costs some money and I'm happy that we have some supporters who really help me carrying that along. Thank you all. And uh, well, it would be nice if some more of you did that. Um, we got more and more weekly listeners. I'm very happy and very proud of that. So it'd be nice also if the number of Patreons increased a little bit. Go to patreon.com and Look for the Sauce Hermes podcast. TH podcast is the short for it. And um, if that's too hard to find, also go to the website. and there is the Patreon button there. Not to worry. Even on the YouTube channel, in under each episode, you find the first line where it says support this podcast. And you have a link to Patreon there. So no excuse. Thank you. And um, well... Those of you who are regulars, and more and more of you are, they know what's coming now. Music, of course. And once again, it's music from one of our listeners. He's called Pete. Pete of the Beat is his pseudonym. Uh, I believe he's called Pete, but um, he goes by Pete on the Beat. And he is a musician, and his music and the music that tracks that he sent me, he tries to incorporate the... Art of turntablism with heavy uh, 808 synth melodies and chord progressions. And uh, well, he hopes that we like them and I'm sure you like them. Uh, it's a very, very vivid, very nice type of music. But of course, it's not just like that music um, in the way he describes it. It's all linked to his personal occult path and also the the... The titles, of course, of the tracks that we have here today, they reflect that. So it's it's really influenced by his occult work. Pete has also not only not only written music, but also written a book about Omar Gaines. I didn't know what Omar means actually, but maybe that's because I'm European. So I looked it up. It's one meal a day, one meal a day gains, practical self help and natural bodybuilding. So interesting. Maybe we should have a look into that. Would certainly make me look a bit a bit um well slimmer let's put it that way (laughs) right okay but enough blur now let's listen to his first track of music and well the title of the track uh, that pete on the beat created here well it has to be the first one here on the thought hermes podcast it's called as above so below not much more to say so Pete on the beat and his track, as above, so below. Enjoy. above so below by Pete on the beat one of our listeners and fans of this show who provided us with the music for today More of that, of course, in the break of the upcoming interview. And in that interview, we're going to meet Shu Yap. Shu Yap, who is a professional and traditional astrologer with nearly 20 years of study. And if you haven't heard much about her yet, it's maybe for two reasons. A, she, well, three reasons, actually. She is A, and that's... Probably the main reason, and also the reason for the second reason I give you she's a very modest lady, and I think she knows much much more than she would admit to know and he is she is really she's really quite a fascinating personality, I must say, and you'll hear that all through the interview she has lots of things to say, very, very interesting and well, the second reason comes from that she has not published a book so far well. If you guys from the different edish, uh, editors and publishing houses out there, listen to me. Give me a shot and I will put you in touch with Shu. She didn't ask me for that, but I think you really should get in touch with her and she should write few of her things down. would be really worth it. And well, the third reason might also be that she lives um, near Melbourne, Australia, in quite a remote place. So she is a Maybe not a hermit, that might be exactly exaggerated, but she is um, a bit off the main tracks and so it's a bit harder to find her. She does more than reading charts for clients, she embodies astrological lore in her own everyday life. She is a grower and a beekeeper, but also a mother and an art hobbyist. Um, Her paintings are really lovely. So And um, she tries to bring astrology to the world. As always, I'm trying to read a text to you of the person that I interview. And uh, as she has not written a book, I, I thought I would read one of her blog entries on her website, intercycle.com. You'll find the link to her website, of course, in the show notes. And um, this is a blog, uh, blog entry from December 2020. Uh, many people at the time were talking about the Saturn Jupiter conjunction that was going on around those months. And um, well, she commented on that with a blog entry called Is This the Dawn of the Age of Aquarius? And here is what Shuyap has to say. Many people are confusing the first Saturn Jupiter conjunction in the air sign of Aquarius with the concept of the age of Aquarius. Mm-hmm. However, These two concepts are not related at all. The idea of the Age of Aquarius is somewhat a modern construct, created to bring meaning to the precession of the equinoxes. The definition provided by Merriam-Webster dictionary describes the precession of the equinoxes as a slow westward motion of the equinoxes along the ecliptic caused by the gravitational action of Sun and Moon upon the protuberant matter about the Earth's equator. The fact that the Saturn-Jupiter conjunction in the air element happens to occur in the sign of Aquarius has many com- people confusing it with the age of Aquarius. Rather, the Saturn-Jupiter cycle is an ancient system of societal timekeeping used by ancient cultures as far back as the Zoroastrians. Some hypothesis that the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction could have been the star of Bethlehem that led the three wise men to find Jesus. The Age of Aquarius is a much newer concept that has been constructed independently by the modern astrology movement. In more modern times, though, astrologers look to the cycle of Saturn and Jupiter to predict world matters. Topics like financial markets, political systems, leaders, regimes, weather, stock markets, social trends and other matters falling into the branch of astrology called mundane astrology. Their systematic 20 year cycle and 200 year elemental sign shift makes the Saturn Jupiter cycle a cosmic clock of world affairs. Therefore, the Saturn Jupiter conjunction in Aquarius is not related to the age of Aquarius at all. Personally, as a student of traditional astrology, I will always work with the Saturn Jupiter cycles for understanding world patterns in mundane astrology or topics involving life structure. Goals and aspirations in personal natal astrology. So far, that interesting blog reading from Shuyab's blog. And now we are going to meet herself, Shuyab. Let's move down to Australia and meet her at her home near Melbourne. Here comes. The interview Today on the Thoth Harmony Podcast, I have the pleasure to go, well, we Eurocentric people always say we go down under, but of course, that's an insult because you're not down there. You're just on the other side. And um, I'm going to Australia once again, to the area of Melbourne, I believe in the state of Victoria in any case. And we're going to meet a very interesting woman astrologer, um, Shu Yap, who, um, by the way, was pointed towards her and got interested in her through some listener comment that you gave me, you listeners. So thank you for that. Do that more often because it's, as you see today, it's always very useful. And it's my great pleasure to welcome Shu here on the Thought Hermit podcast. Good evening. It's late evening in Australia. It's midday here, but it's very nice to have you. Good evening, Shu.
1: very good evening to you and your listeners rudolph and it's such an honor to be here as a listener of your show as well so I'm very, very, yeah, honoured to be here, and I'm surprised that I've even been asked to be on here. So
0: <laughs> no, that that's very nice, and um, you see, it's a it's all a family kind of, you see, and that's nice, and it's always really good to discover people we would otherwise not uh, altogether not discover if not somebody pointed us towards them. Um, Shu, you uh, live in Australia, as I just said, and uh, you practice astrology. But you are not originally, as your name might name might also tell us, you're not originally from uh, Australia. You moved there. You're going to tell us more about that, because, of course, as those regulars here know, I always try to ask my guests how they became within the world of the esoteric and the occult, what they are today. And that's why also my question and my first question that goes to you is, um, where did it all start? How did you initially become interested in astrology and how did you develop then your particularities in that field?
1: Mm, yes, great. Yes, I am I am from, um, Melbourne is the closest city to me. However, I live two hours from there. I live on a farm in central Victoria. So as, as well as being an astrologer, I am a grower and a beekeeper. And I definitely integrate everything that I do in the astrology sort of sides in terms of you know, growing my things, making medicines, and this is where the spagyrics comes in as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah,
2: Mm a bit
1: eclectic here. But um, I guess, yeah, I'm I'm not born in Australia. I was born in Malaysia. And um, when I was, uh, I guess, seven years old, I moved over to Australia. Um, And that was, I guess, as a result of my father passing away uh, when I was four years old um and that kind of started a whole new um uh, life for me here in australia um but in terms of getting into esoteric the esoteric world i guess there's two kind of parts to it there's the um uh, you know seemingly the conscious side of this and very much an unconscious side that i've started to become very aware of now in my later years um you know the story goes that you know I woke up one day when I was 19 years old and just thought oh, I've got to study astrology, and I just literally oh, really? <laughs> went, yeah I just literally woke up like this and I and I've always been very um, st- strong in my dream world and my family have from my father's side you know they uh, they treat the dream world as if it's the same as you know the real world so to speak um i've often had experiences of um family members you know tell me things i cannot can't do or things i need to need to do because of a dream that they've had so i kind of grew up in that um uh, environment for my dad's side of the family anyway my my mother's side of the family are much different um but when my father passed away when i was 4 years old um Obviously, that was a huge disruption to the family. Sure. But it really left behind something in me that I was later to discover was very significant. So my father was a very devout Taoist and he was part of a sect in um, Malaysia where I guess it was more the esoteric Taoist. Side. You know, they were into mm-hmm. more the sorcery aspects of Taoism. Right. I remember um, going to the temples with him and, um, you know, for three days a week the Taoist priests would sit, would go into trance and the people of the community were able to get a, a ticket to be able to see him for all sorts of Issues like if that was sick or if they had problems, and the Taoist priests would either make a talisman or counsel them through a trance, like, you know, through invoking the, the deity of the temple. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a child, I never went to doctors or anything like that we mm-hmm. always went to this Taoist priest if we were sick to get a talisman <laughs> so that was the world that i kind of grew up in much to my mother's despise who was a converted <laughs> christian
0: <laughs> okay so, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So was it more a, all- a, rur- a rural area or more an urban area that you grew up in
1: yeah, so my, this was a rural sort of area uh, where this all this stuff went down. My mother was kind of, you know, in those days, you know, the women kind of just followed wherever the, the husbands okay. went to, I guess. So she kind of was pulled out of her, the safety mm-hmm. of her community and was living in the middle of, you know, another community with all this, you know, black magic stuff happening. So, yeah, she was probably still very traumatised. <laughs> so needless to say... When my father passed away, I never got any – there was really no connection to that world anymore and all the connection that I had was really through my own spiritual connection, which Mm -hmm. is all very unconscious at this stage, but I I do remember just, yeah, always having this sense of trust that something has always got my back and I've always felt that – And I always put that down to, you know, my father being in spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, when I was 19, which is a very significant astrological year result of the nodal return, um, I also got pulled into spiritualism and I sat in a mediumship circle for 10 years um, and became very accustomed to my father Mm -hmm. through the circles there um, so, and I was studying astrology concurrently at the same time. And interestingly, I remember at one time I had a reading from from another medium, and they said, "I've got your father with me, and he has something to give to you." And I don't know what it is, but it looks like a gold circular thing with all these inscriptions. And at the time, I didn't understand anything of that. I said, oh, leave it with me. I'll, I'll take it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But at my next nodal return, which was not that long ago when I was 38, uh, yeah, I became very active in making talismans. And mm-hmm. I also had the opportunity just before COVID hit to go back to visit the temple, which I have very faint memories of, but to be able to have a sitting with the priest and have him invoke my father and having a conversation with him. And the priest was saying that, oh, just by looking at me, he knew I was his daughter because, I guess, of my appearance. And he immediately pointed to the temple's altar and said, that's your father's stuff there. When he died, all of his altar things came to the temple's Big
0: altar. Oh, right. So that was a Taoist temple again, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it was the yeah. same
1: temple, the, the exact okay. one that I, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, that okay. I used to get talismans from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all came back to me that this second nodal return, that, um, that, that thing that was given that my father was showing me when I was 19 was in fact most likely a, a gold talisman. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I have um, – I did a big solar ritual um, one year uh, where I did make a solar talisman and I really did feel him uh, right next to me. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I was, I just knew what to do. And uh, when I saw, when I was in the temple and I saw the priest and the priest's assistant sort of getting all the material ready for the session. I looked at that and I thought, wow, that looked like me when I was doing the solar uh, talisman, the the solar ceremony. So it was a bit of a mirror kind of image of like um, eternal time, like stepping into fragments of eternal time but at very different chronological times. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, And in fact, his altar items that were up there in the temple that the priest was showing me was a picture of... um, a a serpent which was one of the temple's um key sort of um symbols
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh and then his statue of the deity of the temple and i looked at that and i thought wow this is exactly my chart because the the serpent is uh, part of the symbolism of Rahu and Ketu in the astrological chart. The North Node and South Node is symbolized by this serpent, the dragon's head and the dragon's tail. Sure. And that was next to his deity statue, which to me represented him. And in my chart, I've got the South Node with the Sun, which represents my father. Mm -hmm. in the 12th house, the place of temples. So I kind Mm -hmm. of looked at that as a very physical manifestation of my chart and seeing, yeah, it was just a really trippy moment where I I saw all of these fragments of my life come together and that is what a nodal return can feel like. So (laughs) (laughs) very hard to put into words. Yeah, it's kind of like describing uh, a dream. uh,
0: Absolutely. I mean, we are here, as we said initially, we are here among people who, Listeners are mostly very much educated in the field, but maybe not in particular in astrology. We try to collect many, many facets of the esoteric world, but the, the general feeling probably is is very related altogether. And I think I think our people understand very well what you mean by, by what you're saying. Yeah. You said it suddenly happened at nineteen, so at the first noble return that you said, I want to do astrology, but was this really your first contact or have you been in contact before the age of 19 maybe not active personally but um Mm. with people who who practiced astrology or Mm. how did it how did it come into your life
1: yes well very subconsciously as well i know I, i own very few possessions of my father but one of the maybe two things that i own of his and one of them is a copper tooling of a Quan Yin piece of art that he made when he was sick in hospital and the other thing was an astrology book which mm-hmm. I haven't really read it's it's more like a pop culture sort of Chinese astrology book it's always just been sitting on my shelf um, and you know I wasn't really um, I'm not into into Chinese I, I don't know much about Chinese astrology but it was just something that I came across on a visit back to Malaysia one year when I was much younger and I saw his name written in the book and I thought, I'm just going to take this (laughs) because it was just (laughs) just in someone's house. Um, So I guess it's always been in the background. I I guess I was into horoscopes and things like that, but nothing like what anyone else would be into, you know, it wasn't anything. It was definitely an interest, but it was just for some reason I woke up at 19 and I had to study it. and I rung someone that I knew who was a tarot reader and I said, do you know any teachers? She pointed me to someone else and that someone else said, no, you don't need to have an astrology teacher, you just need to go to a, the Theosophical Society bookshop and find yourself a book. <laughs> so look for Rob Hand, you know. So, Robert, <laughs> so I, I went straight there, you know, to the city. I took a train into the city. And I looked at Rob Hand's book and I thought, oh, my God, this just seems so complicated. I'm never going to be able to teach this to myself. And then I looked around on the edge of the the bookshelf. There was a tiny little advertisement, which was about 10 centimetres wide by five centimetres, like a business card. And it just said astrology lessons weekly pay by the week which was you know i was only a student at the time so i could never afford to pay so i thought oh i can afford 20 dollars a week that's fine and it happened to be just around the corner to where i was living so all these things have always just fallen into my lap Mm -hmm. that yeah so i guess yeah nothing in consciously uh you know meant to be but it was all meant to be yeah
0: yeah when you when you said that about you being a very young girl and your father died you were four i i remembered a story i had with one of my guests just recently bianca Bondi, who is that south african artist living in paris and she had a very similar experience with her occult uh, awakening so to speak where her father died at very young age and i sometimes ask myself now those two stories are very obvious in that sense but uh, i wonder what's your opinion on that i sometimes have the impression that that most young children under the age of seven or so are in general much more open to the let's call it the spirit world to, to take a, 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 a straightforward name. Right. And so are also much more um, open to receive um, those instructions. And do you think the fact that it has happened very early in your age with your father's loss, uh, that this has changed something for the remainder of your life in that respect, or uh, or is that just a coincidence? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I guess yes to a degree because I've never really questioned the fact that there was a spirit world. I've always mm-hmm. kind of felt that I have had a com- relationship with my father, and that might seem ludicrous to people that maybe aren't in my situation. But yeah, it, it's never been something to question at all. But I guess mm-hmm. that's also based on my father's side of the family that Oof, were, background, I guess, yes. For, yeah, into the spooks, you know. So I was, I remember a time when I was about 8, 16 or 17, um, my friends and I had planned a camping trip away, like, by ourselves, like no adults and there were some older people there that were going to drive and, you know, so it was really, like, I was really, really excited looking forward mm-hmm. to it. And my auntie, my my father's sister, happened to be in Australia at the time and she said, I've just had this dream you can't go to this camping trip. So, and you can imagine how devastated I would have been as a 16, 17 sure. year old girl, you know, because that was like something we've been looking forward to for ages. And, um, but yeah, I didn't go. And so that's how I guess strong and important these messages are, that, that how serious these messages are taken in my father's side of the family.
0: Right, and, and my and
1: mum, my mum just gets along, goes along with it for fear.
0: <laughs> but um, did something happen then during that trip that that confirmed that she was right, or, or did it just no? They no.
1: they all came back safely. Okay. Uh, but maybe if I had gone, i might have jinxed it all. Yeah, but, exactly, so, exactly.
0: As yeah. they say, the magician is never late. It's he who who directs time, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, Okay, yeah. so um, you you just talked about uh, uh, astrology and uh, your Chinese astrology background to your father, but your choice was completely different, right? So it's mm-hmm. um, based in today uh, uh, in traditional astrology. Even maybe we could give a few definitions, or you should give a few definitions um, just to make make it clear what traditional astrology actually means, also in your own terminology.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a bit eclectic in terms of that. I Anything to me before the 17, 17th century, I would class as, I guess, traditional or classical. But mm-hmm. within that period, I have interest in um, various different forms of astrology, like um, Hellenistic. Babylonian and generally um, Arabic-based astrology. Um, The translations from the Arabic period—they're my Mm -hmm. my key focus. A little bit of the Renaissance stuff for my horrory work, but um, generally, yeah, generally Hellenistic and you know Arabic is the 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 stuff that I'm really into that I geek out on.
0: Okay, so we we're coming back to that in a moment, but you said the the. the change, it's no longer traditional astrology in its terminology after the 17th century. So what what happened in that period that has changed Mm. astrology?
1: Well, astrology was nearly lost completely, uh, you know, due to all sorts of stuff, religion, like, you know, Christianity, um, I guess also the, you know, the the, the witch trials and all, the, all sorts of stuff like that, which, mm. you know, all of us probably have had a past life there. Um, and then when it had a little bit of a mini revival in the 1800s, um, it kind of only was able to be recognized as any form of I guess serious study if it was lumped in with the area of psychology and so it all became very individuated and psychological Mm -hmm. in so far as that we really lost the the essence of um, the, the wholeness, the integrated wholeness of what astrology was, to me, this was very much a, a, like, you know, in alchemical terms, a, a stage of separation. Mm-hmm. You know, we really were like pulling the human, the, the, the material completely out from the heavens and just seeing that as its sort of individual kind of um, unit Oh, and so, stepping back as well, I guess the Copernicus and his theories about you know <clears throat> the Earth not being central, that the sun yeah. is now um yeah, that was a big blow to astrology um but see, this is the 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 thing that i've the essence that I've really come to understand and uh, and now try and convince people that, especially when you're reading traditional text, the languaging can be, is not meant to be interpreted literally. Hmm. It's all very symbolic language uh, and if you try to interpret it literally that's where all sorts of Judgments and flaws can come out, and so this whole symbol of um, the Earth being in the centre of the celestial sphere spheres uh, is, you know, it, it is a model and a symbol. It's not necessarily the literal, which is yeah. what you know. This materialistic world, you know, is they find very hard to sort of step outside of that that framework of mind. Yeah.
0: Which also explains uh, when then the uh, the knowledge of further planets beyond Saturn uh, was present in people's minds, um, that they Mm. had the impression they had to add those planets to general astrology and then Pluto was taken away again from them and and so this created a whole whole buzz around that. And and traditional astrology doesn't, doesn't worry about those things, right?
1: Yes. I mean, I I look at the uh, outer planets, so that's Neptune, Uranus, Mm -hmm. Neptune, Pluto, Mm -hmm. as a secondary thing. I still look at them because I still Mm -hmm. think they are valid, but I do think that if you just looked at the seven planets, it would still tell you the exact same things, exactly what you needed to know, and these outer planets may just reaffirm, uh, you know, the, the points that the seven traditional planets, you know,
0: Originally,
1: yes, of have
0: stayed course. through their symbology, and an so, astronomer might um, tell you that those two out of those seven <laughs> planets aren't even planets, right? So, so, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, uh, yeah. But but this figure seven probably is a very important one in regards to traditional astrology, and not just not just the, the names you put on them, but the, the the number seven is certainly also important, isn't it?
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, the the first thing that comes to mind is that that is the, um, connected to the Saturn cycle. Huh. So every seven years we get 90 degrees of the Saturn cycle occur and they then culminate at the return around 29, 30 years, you know, give or take, tw- between 28 and 30 years. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they're often very significant times where we can map out huge foundational developments in our lives Um, usually at the younger years we may not see the developments within ourselves that much but it may be projected onto the people around us or decisions that are being made that have somewhat have a big impact on on the, the seven-year-old child mm-hmm. um we also see lots of developmental things happening from a physical biological perspective as well um so yeah it's, it is significant um yeah but you know all numbers are significant like depending on which cycles there's there's sure. all these different cycles happening at at the same time, um, um, yeah, I don't know how much you want to go into the astrology yet, but um, you know, one one big time is is around the forty-one-year-old stage mm-hmm. where lots of cycles converge.
0: <laughs> well, I, I, let, let's before we go into those details, let's talk now about uh, your choice of. Arabic, Hellenistic um, path that you that you prefer in a way. So maybe you can give us uh, explanations for your choice and, and what the particularity of those paths is that you have chosen.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. Well, Hellenistic, because it is so foundational. Uh, you know, the Greeks really were the first ones to really... I guess intellectualise astrology mm. and um, merge that with the philosophy, uh, mainly of Plato and Socrates, and uh, so there's a lot of foundational techniques in the Hellenistic era that uh, you know is the core of my practice. Um, the Arabic stuff I really love in terms of their knowledge on the magical side of things, mm. and um, they also were great with their work around um, time lord systems as well that I use, uh, mainly the Persian Fadaria systems uh, as well as the works of um, Abu Masha and his practices with annual perfections and solar revolutions. And then the Babylonian is... Like I love the Babylonian um, style mainly because it's so observational Mm. and I came into that I guess the most recently Um, I guess living out on land I have you know a a natural sort of dark sky park available to me and every night I'm looking at the stars Um, so that's kind of really given me a better understanding of my astrology knowledge because it's just so much more, I guess, enriching to be able to view it happening in real life, than to see it on my computer screen.
0: <laughs> well, I'm, sure, so, I'm sure. It's fascinating. Yes. Many people don't even see stars anymore because they live in cities where the nights are so bright that you don't see stars anymore. That's it's, it's Yeah, that's caring. right.
1: Yeah. See, I, I live um, off grid. You know, I barely have any power mm. myself for
2: myself.
1: <laughs> um, so, you know, we I'm lucky in that regard. But I guess the observational stuff as well brings in a very, very animistic uh, yeah. level of being hmm. experience with the stars, as well as the idea of the pattern logic that exists in the whole environment, um, the fact that we can dissect whether a planet is fast or slow, moving forwards, backwards, rising before the sun, after the sun. All these patterns have a logic to them and they're all symbols to which we can draw upon uh, for our understanding of ourself or our situation Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, yeah i uh, I have recently read an interesting sentence it was more meant in in relation to ceremonial magic, but you mentioned symbols here and you did already a bit earlier and that reminded me of that sentence where it said symbol is um, symbol is the language, the words is the language, right? And ritual is the grammar to put the words together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that in regards to ceremonial magic, a very nice description. And when you say that, is there something like a grammar so a ritual? type of uh, thing in astrology that would put the symbolism together on a level to make it understandable
1: yeah in terms of a ritual uh do you so do you mean like in terms of is are there ritual practices that are used with astrology um,
0: or? i didn't mean it exactly like that but of course that's also an interesting question yeah um which yeah. relates more to other stuff that that you also integrate in your in your practice as i hear from what you're saying like alchemy and other things but um but I, I more mean the way you would maybe, for example, create a chart or the way you observe the stars. That's what reminded me now when you said that you were observing them yourself. Is there a kind of ritualized way of doing that that helps you understand the language that you receive, the symbols that you receive?
1: Oh right, okay, so yeah, like say, if I was about to go into a session with someone, mm. do I have some kind of thing to tune in? Well, right. I always put on my talismans that i mm-hmm. that I've created for readings um and no, well, you know, I do have a bit of a process where i do I always do a meditation before mm. I see each client or do each do any kind of teaching sort of presentation or anything like that. Um, And, yeah, I know what you mean. And sometimes, like, it's like I have two sets of eyes. Like, I can sometimes look at a chart when I don't have my astrology eyes on and nothing makes sense to me. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, God, Mm -hmm. I can't believe I'm an astrologer. None of this makes sense. But I have to, obviously, I have to be sitting in silence and that's why I work at nighttime when the kids are in bed. And it's almost like a new lens comes on and, things Mm just start kind of speaking to me in the chart and I I can't quite work out what what that is um I guess it's the more you kind of get into that zone that flow state I guess it's about Mm -hmm. opening up and uh you know being that vessel for these symbols to speak to you but of course there are always times that once you once you understand symbology and well, the symbology of the stars, you know, in my, in my instance, it's always screaming out at you. For example, um, I haven't, because I live off the grid, I have a mm-hmm. shower outside. There's, it's completely in the open air and... I At this one time last year, Saturn and Jupiter Jupiter were very close together last year because they came together in a conjunction. Mm -hmm. And every night I would have a shower and, and look up and see them coming closer and closer together. And I happened to one day have a shower during the daytime and I immediately looked up just by habit. And I thought, oh, that's a shame. I can't see Saturn and Jupiter because it's the daytime. But as soon as I thought that, this eagle and this crow just fly above my, over my head. So the eagle's yeah, um, yeah, Jupiter yeah, and sure. the crow is Saturn. Saturn oh, we yeah. don't have crows. We've got ravens. But, the you know, ravens, blackbird. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, well, you know, the, it's, it's the animistic world. It's the symbology. You know, sure. it's anyone that could have been just an eagle and a crow flying past. But. Because I recognised and registered it, I knew in my heart that that was Saturn and Jupiter saying, oh, we're still here. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, you're no. The no, timing's I, 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 of off. <laughs> yeah.
0: that's, that's how it all works. It happens with all kinds of practices that we do, I think, when you recognise those symbols in a way that others don't do that work will not recognise them as such, of course.
1: Yeah, and I think yeah. that's the work of like acknowledging the the symbolic the synchronicity between the yes. two worlds. Exactly. Um, which is, you know, so much of Jung's work that he kind of went on about, which was I was heavily influenced by when in my modern days of astrology. Mm-hmm. But I, I still I still very much value Jung's work. Um
0: oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah,
1: he's he's incredible. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah.
0: Well, for some reason, before the interview, I did not announce that I'm going to break and play some music for you. But, well, of course, those of you who know the show, they were expecting that. So here we are. We will take a little break in that really interesting and lovely talk with Shu, And listen to music again by Pete on the Beat. Pete on the Beat, I remind you, is the guy who... Offered us music for you today. He is a listener of the a regular listener of the Thought Hermes podcast. He is a musician. He has written that book, Omad Gaines, and he is having an own website where he produces book summaries, writes about various occult and personal development topics, and shares experiences uh, from his own life path. So, um, Go there if you have time. It's an interesting website really. And what I also wanted to point out, um, if you have time, go and look uh, on his music videos. Now you're just listening, of course, because this is an audio podcast only. Um, but if you go to YouTube, to the Pete on the Beat channel, I will link that also in the, in the show notes. And then you can not only listen to the music, but while you listen to the music, you see his video installations, because he's also a video artist, Pete on the Beat. So, our next um, track from him, that we will hear now, is called Self-Sufficiency. And um, then we will return immediately to meet Shu and continue our talk with her. And immediately after the talk, track number three by Pete on the Beat, and this one is called Vitruvian Man 777. I guess all of you know what the Vitruvian Man is. Hmm? No, you don't? Okay, I'll tell you. You know Leonardo da Vinci's guy in the middle of that pentagram, the man figure with the extended arms, and yeah, yeah, you remember now? Okay, yes. That's called the Vitruvian Man. Okay. So, Pete on the beat with self-sufficiency. After that, second part of our interview with lovely Shu Yap. And after the interview, track number three by Pete, Vitruvian Man 777. Enjoy. What i find very interesting when i hear you speak um, all the way through right and even we spoke a little bit about that before we started the interview um, you seem to link all kinds of practices into your work so this isn't if, i mean if i i hope i remember well now but i don't remember we've had any astrologer here on this show yet which actually oh. it was high time wow. to do that after more than 100 <laughs> shows but maybe it's also because 'm not talking about myself here, but it's also because i' I'm, I'm coming from from ceremonial magic and hermetism and um, and uh, astrology is of course one of the basic teachings you have to know there, but it was always my weak point, like the piano when I do music you know so <laughs> m- maybe that's why I subconsciously didn't really didn't really pay enough interest in, so it was about time but <laughs> Let's go the other way around. You do, um, uh, you have for me a very holistic approach as opposed to other astrologers I know. Mm. And that's what also I found so interesting when I read about you. Um, You mentioned alchemy twice or three times already during our talk now. And in relation to that also Spargerism right? Um, You mentioned Spiritism in the very beginning. Um, In our talk before, we were talking briefly about Hermeticism. Um, So, can you tell us why you think you are doing that and um, Mm. why it is also important to you?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure I don't have ADHD. But, but, um, (laughs) but you know, I think one thing that I I think what you may be trying to get get at is that I see astrology as a horizontal layer, Mm -hmm. that it is almost like a latent group of a latent symbolic language that needs to be applied and rooted in lots of vertical layers if you know right. what I mean so that's when astrol I've always felt astrology is best when it's t- combined with something else mm-hmm. so I like to combine my astrological w- work with my work in agriculture you know I'm mm-hmm. you know, I don't like to call myself a farmer because I think farmers sort of destroy land whereas I'm more about regenerate like land, you know, regenerating like right. compacted farmland
2: <laughs> okay. um
1: so So my work, even when I look at my bees, because I've I've actually developed a strong uh, allergy to to bee stings, I only open the bees up in the planetary hours of the sun and Venus, and that has really helped me to not be hurt uh, anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I I just – so these are just examples of the fact that you have to kind of bring the stars down, like it – Otherwise, it just stays as a layer in the sky, mm-hmm. if you know what mm-hmm. I mean.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And
1: that kind of fits with that whole hermetic sort of axiom of as above, so below. Like it and sure. has to come down, it has to go back up. It, it's it's a two-way sort of channel. Otherwise, it just stays as latent potential um, to me. Um and so this is, influences my work in making spagyric medicines and like growing and even the way I work with clients, you know, it's all about, yes, we can talk philosophical about the chart and, and look at the eternal in, eternal time of the chart, but it's also about bringing it down to some material like guidance and advice, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. it, it plays out on many different levels. But I mm-hmm. think that maybe is the philosophy behind why I may seem eclectic but really it it's to me i don't see it as eclectic it's more as like that was the way it was meant to be
0: no to me it's contrary i i don't think ah. well, to me you don't seem eclectic at all you as i said my word is rather holistic because mm. um, it's integrating and eclecticism integrating. Is, is i i i think i'm eclectic myself a lot but that's more pick out things uh, instead of seeing the whole sometimes and 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 i don't get that feeling at all but it, Give us a let's go a bit deeper into that because you, for example, you just mentioned the bee sting situation, very interesting. Maybe, maybe you can develop that a little bit because I think that's practically interesting for some people out there. But also, mm. when you talk about spagyric medicine, okay, there are people who do spagyric medicine, there are people who do alchemy, there are people who do astrology. But how do you link precisely spagyric? Um, working with astrology. How does that work together when you do it?
1: Okay, so I only ever make uh, spagyric medicines for uh, as a talismanic Okay. So I would elect a time uh, that's right for any sort of planet uh, and make it, uh, well, I collect all the things, all the materials at the right planetary hours of that planet um, I would go into do a ceremonial magic kind of um, uh, you know a planetary magic kind of mm-hmm. uh, ritual mm-hmm. uh, put it all together at the right time and consecrate it at the exact moment um, you are in and, the
0: Hellenistic world again right
1: yeah and as yeah. this is probably Arabic as well the, mm-hmm. the Arabic magic mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and then obviously you can't make a spagyric that quickly it's you know it's an ongoing thing so then every time i then work with that materia i would work it at the work at it at the right planetary hour so it always corresponds to that planet so by the time that medicine's finished it hopefully has so much of that planet's essence in it that i can use and and i would have petitioned for the planetary spirits to you know, to do to 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 invoke some kind of a you know um, condition, you know mm-hmm. that I that I petitioned for that mm-hmm. um, medicine. So then I can kind of bottle bottle that chart up, you know, because it there's a lot of rules to come to a planetary election, which is mm-hmm. when you choose a time. It's very very precise and detailed, and it takes a long time to come to a right chart. So when you do find that right chart. You want to make the most of it. Um, True. And there are some, I'm working on a Saturn one at the moment because, you know, the next time Saturn's in Aquarius, which is in its own sign, would be another 29 years. So mm. some things, you know, are very uh, long between opportunities. So you've got to uh, take them when you can. And, and
0: are urgent to, to, to do them when the opportunity arises, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that yeah.
1: was a 3.30 in the morning ceremony. So
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you, what you mean. <laughs> and, and, and if you may um, just tell us a bit more in detail about that bee allergy remedy, well, remedy. You know uh, how you handle it.
1: Mm. Well, it was getting to the point where I was either going to have to give up the mm. the bees, or well, yeah, to give up the bees because I was ending up in hospital too much. Mm. And mm. you know, it is a fallacy. People think that if you get stung a lot, you get a immunity to bees, but
0: no, it's not the not case. Sure sometimes yeah. even the contrary yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah and that was my in my case yes so i just thought you know there's got to be another way at that time i was kind of thinking i might have been a commercial beekeeper i had about 30 hives at the time so it was a big kind of loss like to have to sure. all up a lot of work a lot of money spent on boxes and things like that mm. so i decided to just open you know, think, oh, well, what, what do bees correspond to? They, they correspond to the sun. Uh, honey corresponds to Venus. And they happen to be the two hours that are next to each other in the Chaldean order of the planetary hours. So I thought I'm just going to try it. And I do notice there's so much karma um, on those hours. And, of course, I always suit up these days. Like in the past I might not have always been that careful, but these days... I do, and um I've always found the like very much calmer on the set, the sun, and the Venus hours, and I can invariably just tell you without looking at a watch or a time when the mercury hour comes in
0: oh really hmm.
1: because I know I can see it in the bees, I can see they start to stre- they, they start getting really agitated, they start getting hmm. really busy. And I just get this sense, okay, they're getting angry, I'm going to close the hive, and then I'll check my phone and it'll say, ah, oh, Mercury. hour."
0: <laughs> okay, so, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that relates exactly to the phrase that I read about you and that intrigued me when I first saw it. It said, astrology is a way of life, not a livelihood. Um, yes. So <laughs> that, that's part of it. What other parts of your life, if, well, probably you're going to tell me everything but maybe you can give us a few more examples are that way of life that are different because you're an astrologer um, mm. to to people who are not
1: mm. well for example being a mother of three boys mm. um i i definitely do Look, I don't follow their charts like you would imagine I would, like looking at every transits. No, I I kind of keep an eye on the big cycles because they're very developmental. Mm. Um, and so I track, I do track their charts closely in that regard and not so much in terms of a predictive thing but in the context of like how can I best support their development mm. and that when they... Undergo, for example, I've got a son at the moment who is in a Saturn for Daria period, <laughs> and he and Saturn is a planet that's often associated with like depression or mm. being sad or just just low energy, and um, and you know he's just all of a sudden as this planet's kicked in, he's just become very. Uh, uh, you know, like he, he used to be very active but now he's, he doesn't even want to leave the house. He's very, he stays in his room all the time. He doesn't mm. want to, he's just non-enthusiastic about everything. But most parents would worry and, you know, to a degree I'm like, oh, he needs to get moving. But part of me knows that, oh, he's just going through Saturn right now. And so that gives me a bit of understanding with how I can best support him. You know, he mm. needs maybe to have time alone. Maybe I need to take the brothers away from him. He needs um, to be put to some kind of a productive work, you know, in mm-hmm. maybe making something or, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, so, so I, can, I can, I guess, look at the symbols and see how that applies to the child's development. Right. Uh, but apart from that, you know, grow, I grow a lot of my own food, so using the moon cycle for that and planetary hours for that. Sure. As well.
0: Sure. Um, So it's part of your daily life, so to speak.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Even, even, yeah. No, go ahead. Go go ahead. No, go. I was going to
1: say, even um, I do when I get time. I do paint, and all my paintings generally have a astrological um, meaning behind it. For for example, I only ever start paintings at an election if i Ah, see a good election for a painting i'll start Mm -hmm. one i might not get to finish that painting in a while but i will consecrate that canvas and start it and i've had some really amazing results with that so they've become like talismanic paintings
0: yeah 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 so i i i was not going to ask you but now that you mentioned because in the background here of course, people don't see that when I speak to you. I see those canvases with half with half finished paintings. I, <laughs> now I got the answer to my question. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but let's carry it outside your own life. Now, you, of course, you are a consultant. People come to, well, I don't know if they come to see you or if you go to see them or if you do it also via the internet or other media, Um uh, how much has astrology as a consultant become part of your life now?
1: Well, I, it's become part of my outer life now, but I was very secretive about it for a long time. I really? Was, yeah, I, I didn't really tell anyone I was an astrologer. Of course, close friends knew I was. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I've been persecuted in a past life or something. It took a lot huh. for me to be very public about what I do mm. um and it still scares the bejesus out of it, but I've, I've, I've become quite used to sort of like say being on podcasts and things like that but yeah. yeah and I guess that was also because I was working in a corporate kind of setting in the past mm. and it wasn't mm. really you know astrology of it's it's very different now to what it was like you know you tell people you're an astrologer 20 years ago and you were just a crazy person but now it kind of gets a little bit of respect you know just Mm -hmm. a tiny little bit Mm -hmm. um there's just so much more awareness about what what it is now um so it's much easier now to have my astrological coming out but it certainly wasn't um yeah for
0: a long time also influenced by the catholic church that you mentioned earlier that that really to all things a little bit magical was very opposed and and branded it as a bad thing right Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think also the pop astrology, like you not, um, yeah, sure. you know, like the horoscopic sort of astrology, where these days they would actually get astrologers to write them. And in, in the, the previous days, you know, it'd be any sort of grad on the editorial team that you know would just make stuff up. You know, exactly.
0: so
1: of course, yeah. like it's not going to be. <laughs>
0: sure. Well, I'm valid. not always sure if this pop thing is also written by a, a chat bot nowadays. You know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but um okay so but you um i mean maybe it's hard to say i'm not asking for percentages or whatever but how much of your life does consultation now use how much, how, how much is it become part of your daily procedure so to speak
1: Oh, uh, okay well my every work i generally have like three working days mm-hmm. uh because i i'm also a full-time mum. so sure um yeah so generally three days a week i'll be in consultations and mm-hmm. i also do teaching as well um and that has to kind of fall in whenever i can um yeah it's it's always a juggle because i've got sure. the farm and i've got the kids and you know i've got mm-hmm. the business but it's just something that i kind of fit in here and wherever i can it's given me the flexibility as well as opposed to being in a nine-to-five job so i can say talk to you at, say, 10 o'clock at night, you know, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, So it's, um, yeah, so generally, oh, yeah, so before, I was actually online like three years before COVID hit. So when COVID hit, there was no transition and I actually had one of my busiest years
0: so right because people also were more interested maybe in those things and had time for it also right they had time yeah Uh, and at the time people got paid out a lot of
1: money from the government for not being able to work so yeah yeah yeah. it was was, Uh,
0: but but if i get you right so you do your consultation basically on the internet not live with people but but uh, on the internet right
1: yeah on the internet yeah Mm -hmm. I, i do prefer it actually um yeah, just, it's just more time efficient and I can, you know, I, it's easier for me to like pull back and do my meditation between clients and all this sort of stuff. Whereas mm-hmm. if there's someone in my space, I guess I'm a bit of an empath. I, I find that affects me a lot. And it, it, so, it can
0: maybe also change your vision on the charts in a way.
1: Yeah, maybe, yeah I, I worry about other things You know, I can't just I can't be as focused Yeah Okay so, And I really don't think It takes anything away Being online For an astrological consultation Because I'm not tactile I don't have to touch them Or anything yeah. So, yeah
0: Yeah, yeah It would be different In the, in the spiritist uh, environment For example But it's I understand Especially when you talk about The traditional path In astrology I agree It's It's something that is independent of the location and with whom you are it's 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 Mm. a situation and paper in a way right
1: yeah 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 yeah, that's right the only thing is like if i if i so with these talismans that i make sometimes i might sort of prescribe them as a remedy for a Mm -hmm. a, a planet that needs it in the chart Mm-hmm. So in that case, I may have to send that by post, but that's the only, or yeah. I can maybe suggest remedies that they can do themselves by working through the herbal world and, and yeah. through other methods that they can sort of have yeah. their own agency to organise themselves.
0: I see what you mean. Um now has uh, the fact that since you've got to write about five years now that you're doing the, the consultation, right? Um, has that I don't mean in regards of your timetable, but in regards of the way you see things and see even astrology itself. Has that changed your view? Has that or developed or, or, or modified in a way how you see astrology because you have those communicative interferences
1: yeah definitely I mean every client you have it teaches you so much about you know how symbols can manifest Mm. so I feel like I get a lot out of each client session as well um and I yeah definitely it does either help confirm things that you already know, and that's always really great to have another confirmation of like, oh, wow, there's another example of this, or it can show you some unique ways that people creatively manifest those symbols, which you think, oh, I wouldn't have thought that before, but then that stays in the back of your mind for every time you see that symbol again. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: so, yeah, so it definitely, I think consultations it, it is teaches
0: a must. you, so to speak, yeah yeah oh okay it's a must you think for an astrologer to to do it
1: I I think so I think it is definitely part of your a a very important part of your practice I think you always have to have your hand in it like even though I probably prefer to teach because I do consultations are draining but and I do prefer to teach but I always have a very sort of at least small baseline of clients Mm um You know, you have to keep your hand in it. You know, it's the mental agility. It's the, yeah, like if you haven't read a client's chart for a while, it kind of takes you a while to kind of get into putting those lens on again. That's what I find personally anyway.
0: Right, right, right. Mm.
1: It's like a yoga teacher that doesn't practice yoga on the them, yeah, like yeah, sure, yeah,
0: yeah, you yeah. kind of
1: have to, yeah, not only with yourself, aspect. but you also
0: have to, to, to show other people how to do it and learn from their difficulties and learn from their problems, exactly, yeah, yeah. and yeah. and
1: also being able to communicate that
0: mm-hmm. is is mm-hmm. one of the
1: biggest skills of an astrologer, of course. Communication of course. is the key,
0: yes, sure. You know, there's
1: a lot of astrologers that are great astrologers, but they have terrible bedside manner, um, but then. Yeah, it's it's you really don't need that many symbols, but it's more about listening and mm-hmm. and being able to communicate that in a way that really
0: reaches them. Mm-hmm. Would you would you mm. call astrology a divinatory art or is it mm-hmm. separate from that?
1: <laughs> I do. I do call it a divinatory art. Definitely my shoe today does. But uh, me say 20 years, you know, 15 years ago or so when I was doing just mainly modern stuff, yeah. I would have said, oh, of course not. You know, we're very <laughs> psychological and, you know, we're more credible than just this woo woo stuff.
2: Right. But right.
1: the more and more I do it, the more I see the divinatory process involved. Mm-hmm. And, that it's the meeting of one's soul, like the, the soul of the astrologer with the client coming at a specific time, which is often unplanned, not elected. Um, and, and and I do look at the consultation chart too because sometimes it tells me how they're coming into the session and how I can best support them. Right. Like whether They may be a bit nervous or whether they need, like don't need the details, they just need, you know like the big picture or you know so it, it tells me a little bit about what they might be going through now so
0: <laughs> right right
1: definitely there is a divinatory process mm-hmm.
0: and, and as mm-hmm. you just, I, I think you said in my opinion you said the key word just now the, yeah, to build something it's 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 not just aha that's going to happen but you realize the situation that you can then deal with right and that's the that's what's divinatory Means and not just um, mm. wait for things to happen that you read in in the chart. Yeah, right. yeah,
1: that's right. You, and we're kind of assessing potential so it's not that mm. we're locked into any certain situation. It's just that we can see how we can steer it.
0: Have yeah. you Which in is your ho- what magicians in, do? <laughs> yes, exactly. Have you in your holistic? Um, Uh, approach to things. Have you ever tried other divinatory arts, like the tarot for example? Or even in spiritism, there are divinatory parts in it sometimes.
1: Yeah, well yes, yeah. so, so I I do do horary astrology which is the divinatory form of yes, astrology exactly. but yeah in in, ter- in terms of other forms you know it's so funny I don't know why I've never studied the tarot because you would think I would but I I feel like um And I definitely do. It's on my bucket list. I just feel like I don't have enough room in my brain
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) um,
1: anymore. But, yes, when I was in the spiritualist sort of my era of my spiritualism, that was probably the closest to any other form of divinity. Mm. I am teaching myself the I Ching at the moment um, (laughs) probably because – yeah, a message from my father said, "Yes, you need to learn the I Ching,
0: you yeah. Know, get Yeah, see your roots, see your background, exactly.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's one of those funny things. This I'm not sure with if you look at the chart, the third house, ninth house axis. You know, the ninth house is all about the culture that you were born into, mm-hmm. uh, the practices, the religion, the spirituality. The third house is your own praxis, and I feel like my astrology has been very much my own praxis um <clears throat> the my the culture that I was born into that night pass stuff all the taoist stuff you know I remember like st- eating cakes from the altar and, like, you know, going to get a talisman and stuff. But it it was never really a praxis for me. Hmm. Uh, And that's why I feel the Taoist stuff, I have to relearn. Like someone said, I'm a born-again Chinese. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Like
1: I have to be reborn as a Chinese to, to, you know, and I feel my nodal return was one of the moments that I was born again into my culture.
0: Do, Do you think you will at some point investigate Chinese astrology?
1: Yeah, I think I will Um, Yeah, probably I just feel like I don't have the capacity right now Um, But yeah, it's completely different And um, I just feel I don't have enough brain power um, yeah. To to study it so there's so much I want to study I just yeah, of you know, it's, yeah the more you yeah, yeah. learn the sure. less you know you
0: always have to know everything that's it um, um, <gasps> you mentioned Chaldean astrology, you mentioned Hellenistic uh, Arabian and Babylonian and Persian of course um, and all of them have a kind of a slightly different approach to certain things um, and of course those who who talk against astrology would use those differences to say, "Well, you see, it's all crap because because nobody mm-hmm. says the same thing." Um, how do you answer those people? I mean, I don't think there are many of them around here in this podcast, <laughs> but but um, they might be confronted with that same question. How do you? Uh, yeah. How would you help them in an answer? How how can you explain oh. the difference between Chaldean and and even Renaissance astrology? No?
1: Yeah, well, firstly, I stay away from those people and it's the reason why I live. (laughs) (laughs) I live on 80 acres pretty much and I don't see anyone. Good
0: choice, yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, So that's uh, option one, if that can't be done, and I am face-to-face with someone. I guess I would just say, look, I take the parts that I like out of each culture um and it is a cultural study it's not sure. just the fact that it was astrology was done you know it's only in recent times that astrology was completely separated from the culture but yeah. in all these other historical periods like yeah. astrology astrology was like um you know uh, a government decision you know like it, it it was just the thing you know to to listen to so mm. I I, th- I think what I the approach I would take is the fact that we live in such a dense environment now, a dense world that there is such a nonlinear perspective that there's no merging of the inner worlds and the symbolic worlds with the outer reality. But if we go to a country like India, you know, for for a government. A politician to actually see an astrologer about a big problem to do with the country, and the astrologers may say, "Okay, well, go to this place on this certain day, repeat Mm -hmm. this mantra, and then go feed the crows or whatever." They would just go and do that. You know, the the world view in that culture is such that there is no divide between the these two worlds. And this is a big problem in the Western world, in the modern Western world, that there Mm. is such a disintegration, a decentralisation, the individuation gone way too far, that there is just a complete disregard for anything else. And so it's my goal to really try and get people to recognise that there is another part of them that is so much alive. <laughs>
0: yeah, and that's that,
1: a, a hard battle.
0: <laughs> that closes again the circle about what we spoke before we started the interview. When, and that maybe already has to be my last question for today. Um, we were talking about this holistic approach that you have. and And, and I mentioned hermeticism. And you... Uh, said well it's something you're coming to now so that's interesting because somehow i had from what i hear about you expected the other way around but you're actually going from astrology out into all this other stuff can you can you explain a bit about that
1: That was definitely the um, my discovery of traditional astrology. That's mm-hmm. the uh, the instigator for all of this, because when I studied traditional astrology, it really opened my eyes to a whole different world. And that world was a world that where it, astrology was so integrated with other parts of the culture, mm-hmm. medicine, education, science, technology, everything, and and that is what really led me to hermeticism because it was through right. that then we got the understanding of the modelling of the earth being in the centre of the celestial spheres. You know, modern astrology doesn't teach you any of that because it, no. it's not rooted in that philosophy.
2: Exactly. It's
1: rooted in the, yeah, the material centre, the earth being the person, like the individual. Yeah. Yeah. Like it has a complete disregard for the environment Mm. you know, the the animistic world around that person. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've gone with a backwards approach to um, hermeticism, but I'm glad I found it because it's made me a better astrologer.
0: It's interesting. And also I think um, that you mentioned several times in this interview the word animistic in regards to astrology. I find that highly interesting because it's also, uh, it's, it's, what I hear from you is much less brainy, as it, uh, and and please take that as an as a compliment, right? Um, uh, Than what you often hear, and it's not just paper and books and and. Uh, Uh, piles of books that you have to read it's it's also sensing things and understanding and seeing things and and i think that's the lesson we can take from you um when we talk about astrology
1: yeah i guess you would sense it through the data that you gathered so um Mm -hmm. and that's i guess where the more uh left side of the brain comes in, you hmm. know, in your prep work, you're getting all the data. What are the time lords currently in play? When are these yep. cycles happening? All this sort of stuff. What's being activated? What are the rulers? And then you kind of have to turn that side off because none of that makes sense to anyone else. Great. Uh, and and you have to really engage the symbolic mind to bring life to that data, to bring Great. meaning.
0: Yeah. Yes. Right. So, Um, a young person who say listen to this show that well, I finally have to deal with more astrology, Um, but Mm -hmm. I have I don't know where to start with. Um, (laughs) What would you, somebody who is keen, who has maybe some background already in, in, in the esoteric world in general, but um, not yet in astrology, what would you tell that person? Where should they uh, try oh my to gosh. start.
1: <laughs> okay, well, definitely don't do what I did. I've just gone <laughs> backwards way around. <laughs> you know, I have had such a lack of good mentoring and, mm-hmm. you know, I've really fumbled my way through it, through it all, which in a way was good in a way because I really learnt the hard way, the slow way, mm-hmm. the hard way, very Saturnian. Um, but I guess my... Uh, Favorite kind of schools are. I'm a big fan of the School of Traditional Astrology in London, mm-hmm. uh, Deb Holdings School. There, I did some training there, and right. um, yeah, really, yeah, real. They're, they're they're the the real deal, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so that's in, that's a good school. I would highly recommend School mm-hmm. of Traditional Astrology. Um, other than that, I think it. You know, it's good to maybe get a, a consultation from a, an astrologer that you think you might like mm-hmm. this style of just to actually maybe start from the reverse see see what see what the outcome is so mm-hmm. that you can then understand how to work backwards so you out of a reading you might have liked something in particular. Uh, And and it might also illuminate to you some of the foundational stuff as well. So you then it kind of shows you what sort of foundational knowledge you might need to know and what particular styles that you might like to take. So you may want to actually see a few different types of astrologers to get their different styles. Um, So I I don't think I'm that um, common. Like, you know, there's not a a lot of astrologers out there that are, I guess, into what I'm like yeah. my style but that kind of makes it my own style and, uh, and every, yeah. if you yeah. study astrology you'll you too will come
0: to uh, it right. and style. That, that's exactly what interested me and that's why you were here today because you are a bit different from the big lot and that was highly interesting and as you said starting with a new art like astrology it's like with all esoteric and occult arts the first thing is know yourself right uh, yes and, and, that's yeah. right. right well thank you so much for for that hour a bit over an hour in your company and uh, thanks you for your time it's now after months just about midnight i believe in australia in europe in your area thank you for staying up late with us and um, for telling us all those interesting things um, and good luck with all that's coming up and um, be careful with the bees
1: Yes, thank you. I've really enjoyed this chat, Rudolph, and keep up the great work.
0: Thank you. Bye now.
1: Bye.
0: man 777 uh, third track by Pete on the beat our musical guest here today our musical guest and fervent listener of the Thos Hermes podcast thanks Pete once again for your lovely tracks and uh, all of you go to the website for the show notes and get the links to see more of his work right and I would also extend my thanks to Shu Yap who did a Lovely talk for us. Um, and uh, I think if you have any requests from her, she will be very happy to answer them. Go on their website, Inter- Intercycle. I hope I pronounced that properly. In any case, if not, also that, of course, you'll find it on the website of the Thought Hermes podcast. Go visit her. It's worth it. And she might also be good to give you a reading or so. Right. Okay. Well, I thanked Pete, I thanked you, and now I'm thanking you, you the audience, because without you, this podcast would maybe exist, but no, makes no sense whatsoever. So thank you for being with us here today and all through the other four and a half years. Yes, four and a half years already. And uh, so really lovely, lovely to have you around. So what's up next week? Next week we are coming back on of course November 14th Sunday again and my guest next week will be a returning guest again somebody I think many of you have uh, been waiting for him to return David Beth David Beth who this time is we'll be talking about that special book that his Theon Publishing House released lately and which had created a big stir because People thought he was the author. In fact, it was an author who goes by a pseudonym. and Yeah, well, we talk about all that, but it's mostly about Saturn and the influence of Saturn on our world, not so much only in an astrological, but rather in a magical point of view. So next week, uh, we hope to have you back together when we have here our saturnian reflections that's how the episode is called with the great David Beth well that's all for today guys thank you once again for being here come back next week and consider becoming a patron right okay so for today what do I say take care stay tuned hear you soon